Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. many ways to interact with free birth society. These include our incredible offering, The Complete Guide to Free Birth, which is the most comprehensive online course available on how to give birth in your power. We also have a beautiful free birth meditation program called the Sovereign Birth Meditation Series, designed to help you release your fears and actualize your dream birth. Our latest course is called Through the Veil, a profoundly personal, radical pregnancy companion program by Yolanda Norris Clark that offers the opportunity to travel with Yolanda as she moves through the last trimester of her most recent pregnancy and invites you into her birth room to witness the birth of her eighth child. And if you're looking for a deeper connection and the opportunity for sisterhood in community with radical, like-minded women, the Free Birth Society private membership is for you, and you can apply on our website to become a member. We also offer personalized one-on-one transformational coaching with a focus on learning the tools to move out of victim consciousness and towards self-responsibility. Skills that translate to freedom, not only in the context of birth and mothering, but in every area of life. And finally, we are offering all of you, our amazing listeners, the free gift of Yolanda's 20-minute Birth Affirmations audio recording, a gorgeous, soothing meditation that every pregnant mother should have. So just head on over to our website at freebirthsociety.com, sign up, and Yolanda's affirmations will be sent directly to your inbox. Closing out 2019 with a beautiful story. It's one of loss, reclamation, growth, and freedom. Leah joins me today to share her experience of discovering halfway through her first pregnancy that her daughter had passed. Leah speaks to how that inspired her to claim her birth experience in total power, love, and autonomy. It's so crazy what I was just sharing with you about how I woke up today. And since, since we last spoke, I'm like, okay, it's my due week. I wake up today. I think, oh, I think I'm pregnant. And then I just look at the calendar and I was like, I gave birth three months ago today. And like, there's just all this stuff happening. And it's so crazy because... (sighs) This, this is kind of like how my motherhood journey started was that I was so obsessive and controlling about like 
my ovulation and my tracking and my diet and my healing and like everything was like so overly controlled that it kind of like sucked the magic out of it Mm. and I was like waiting to get pregnant until like this specific date and and we got pregnant right at that sex time and you know it was like really cool but throughout my pregnancy there was this feeling of like that I'm too controlled and I'm killing the magic you know so I guess I'll just take it back to um when I conceived with my partner um and we were calling in a baby girl and um I had just like felt her so strongly. Hmm. Um, I had actually been feeling two spirit babies around me for about the past 10 years. Hmm. And I kept thinking that I was pregnant with twins and I was just like very neurotic in my pregnancy. Um, And anyway, so my pregnancy was like, even though it was a conscious conception and all this stuff that sounds one way on paper, Hmm. my actual reality of it was so exhausting and draining and unmotivating and like depressing almost. And that was a really hard reality to face after there was like so much planning that went into it. Just because of who you were and how you were organizing around this pregnancy Yeah, I just was shocked that when I actually was finally pregnant, that I was just a miserable, Mm. like, strange, depressed version of myself. And um, so as that that time passed and I continued to be pregnant, um, I started feeling really healthy and I was choosing to have um, a, I guess just like a wild pregnancy. I didn't have a doctor. Um, I knew that I was going to free birth my baby before I ever got pregnant. That was always the plan. And, um, tell me a little bit about that. How did you align with that with a first baby? Um, well, now that I've listened to your podcast so much. I laugh because I thought my story was like so unique, (laughs) but just like everyone else, you know, I found that woman, Laura. Yeah. Shanley. I found her work and the business of being born when I was like 18 years old and it just blew my mind. And I remember thinking this woman is psychotic. Like this is insane, but also she's so intriguing. And I just kind of like put it on the back burner. And as my time of being a mother drew closer, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only way to do it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I guess I just knew. And I I, um, live pretty far outside of what I would call the mainstream. Like I've always been my own healthcare provider and 
um, I don't see doctors, I don't take medicine, I don't really like prescribe to any of those things. So it just made sense for me Mm -hmm. um, to take such an intimate experience into my own hands. Right. It was what I do with everything. So, um, yeah. So my pregnancy, I started feeling really, really good. And, you know, my belly was growing to that point where you wake up in the morning and you just go, whoa, okay. It's another day. Like it's just bigger and bigger (laughs) and bigger. And, um, you know, I think I was about, I was like around 23 weeks pregnant and, um, my mom came to visit and this was a really pivotal moment in the pregnancy because I've had like so much tension with my own relationship with my mother. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like I was carrying my daughter. And the day that my mom left, I was bedridden. So I just started sobbing. I was bawling. I was so depressed. I felt like I was just like dying. And I stayed in bed and I lost my appetite. And when I got up a few days later, I thought, wow, like hosting is so exhausting. That was kind of my thought. And I got up and my belly had shrunk like a lot. And I, I felt that something was not right. And this is also sort of, it's like my weakness and my strength that I just always feel like everything is okay Hmm. on a really deep level, because I think that's true and everything is always okay. And everything does always work out. And I'm so connected to that part of myself that it was tripping me out to feel like everything is okay. And then on another level, like something is terribly wrong. Hmm. So I kind of teetered back and forth with these things for probably, I don't know, five days. And I thought, okay, I need to get my weight back up. And I started just like binge eating hamburgers and all of this stuff. And then nothing was, was working. And that nagging feeling of something is not right. Um, it just, it persisted. So I thought, okay, this is, this is what an autonomous pregnancy looks like. Like I'm listening to myself. And although I've chosen to do this alone up until now, like I'm getting the feeling that I need to get something checked out. So I was kind of like, well, I don't want to see a midwife, but I thought, no, this is, this is the whole point of being in charge is that I'm in charge. So I got into a local midwife around here and, um, 
I had an okay experience seeing her and she wanted to do, um, she wanted to use the Doppler and she also wanted to send me to an ultrasound. And I could tell that whatever I was going through was outside, a little bit outside of her comfort zone. Yeah. So I, I chose not to use the Doppler because if I was going to get an ultrasound, I didn't want to do both. Hmm. So she ordered me an ultrasound and then that took another week. So there's all this stuff going on. And so from the time that I experienced my first feelings of something that's not right, until the time I was sitting in an ultrasound was, I think, two, two and a half weeks. It took that long. So, oh, yeah. Um, really, the whole, the biggest trauma in this entire story for me is the part I'm about to share it's not even the birth part Hmm. but so I had to drive um about an hour and a half to get to this strange ultrasound clinic in a suburb like mall parking garage place which I told my partner don't worry about it I'm just gonna go like you can stay he had something else going on and and we kind of teetered back and forth and he really felt like he should come, but he stayed home. And I go into the office and my heart is, you know, racing kind of like how it is now. And I got called back and, and I'm, I think, you know, this, but maybe I'll just share this for people who don't know. So Generally, there's an ultrasound technician, and then there's a doctor, and they're two separate people. Um, Well, I guess in my situation, it was two separate people. So I was told by the ultrasound technician that, you know, she was going to do the ultrasound and that I would talk to the doctor after, and she was pretty friendly at first, and... She put that gel like all over my belly and she turns the ultrasound machine on and immediately I just see my dead baby floating Mm. just like kind of like, you know, I, it was just so strange and my heart just dropped And she did not say a fucking word. She was silent and she just (sighs) kept doing the ultrasound. And somehow I just disassociated immediately. And I had like another part of my brain come in that was like, everything's fine. Even though I'm visually staring at the dead baby, I somehow was not processing the dead baby. And I was like, no, the baby's still alive. Otherwise she wouldn't be doing the ultrasound. Hmm. How did you, 
How did you know? Was it really just that obvious? The dead baby? Right. Yeah, I mean, she just, it's like as if, I mean, imagine a real life dead baby like floating in the ocean. Right. Where their legs and their arms are just kind of dangling. And I mean, I've seen pictures or videos of other people getting an ultrasound and you see the baby like right. moving around and this mm-hmm. baby was just floating. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> yeah. And so, that compounded with this bizarre stranger alien experience with, with this woman not saying anything. Yeah, she just turned into a cold lifeless shell of a human and I mean of course it's uncomfortable for everyone but as as a care provider even if you're just an ultrasound tech like couldn't you be human and like put your like I don't know look at me and just be like I'm really sorry or well she's not allowed to share any any information. Right. And then, and then also she has to shut down the human part of her to be a part of this technocratic model that has, you know, they're like drones. And that's not to say that every single ultrasound technician is like that, of course, but I hear the story from so many women, this, the same words, this lifeless, just inhumane energy. It's, Mm. it's so, I mean, I, I feel so sorry that that was what you experienced. And I feel so sorry for that person's life. You know, like that's her chosen job. Like, thank God you can go home and like be with people who can feel, you know? Yeah. I've, I've tried to find compassion for her or I don't even know if it's compassion but just trying to wrap my mind around like her discomfort Mm -hmm. with that situation so she continued the ultrasound for about 25 minutes what yeah and I just sat there And that's how I convinced myself that everything was fine because she just kept going and she was measuring every little part of every little thing. Obviously, there was a disconnect in my psyche because I was looking at something and like not processing it. Well, and the environment you were in is totally bizarre. I mean... It, it completely contributed to you not processing it because that makes total sense to me. If someone were to continue it, I would totally look for reasons of why what I'm seeing wasn't true. I think that makes total sense. But, I, you know, and this really highlights the many, 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 many branches of cognitive dissonance and, and disassociating um, from our bodies that industrial, you know, birth model um, creates. Yeah. It- So then she stops the ultrasound and sends me into this little square room where I'm sitting at a table and I'm waiting for this, a doctor to come in. And 
So he walks into the room. I've never met him in my life. I've never seen him. It's not really a doctor's office. All they do is ultrasounds at this place. So he sits down and he says, I'm really, I'm really sorry, but your, your baby is dead. Mm. And your baby has been dead for maybe seven weeks. And at this point, I just lost it because, well, first of all, he was wrong. And second of all, I was immediately just so disgusted with myself that I had been supposedly carrying a dead baby for seven weeks. Hmm. I just like, I was crawling in my skin and I was like, oh, it was... It was terrible. And I asked him why. He said, you know, your baby is like very waterlogged and she's already break or not she. They are already breaking down and we're not really we're not really sure. And he told me I was tw- I thought I was 26 weeks on the day of this ultrasound. He told me that this baby had died around 19 weeks. Hmm. And I knew when the baby died. I felt it. I had this whole experience. It was at 20, it was around 24 weeks. And I've I've had time to reflect about this and talk with a few other wise women and you know, this doctor had no idea that I was about to go home and free birth my child. This doctor was trying to schedule me to get induced. And I think that he was actually doing me a favor by telling me that my child had passed at 19 weeks because Once you hit 20 weeks of a pregnancy, you have to fill out paperwork. You have to get the county or the whatever involved. Um, I think you have to have a burial. Like you have to go through all of these processes. Yeah, it's it's considered a a person. It, It goes from being a miscarriage to a stillborn. And so the the stillborn needs a death certificate and Exactly. You couldn't just like bury the fetus in your backyard. Like there's absolutely, there's a, uh, you're absolutely right. And so that, that is interesting because a part of me just wondered, like, I wonder if he did that on purpose. There is. I think he did. You know, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. He had, he had no idea what I was about to go do. Of course. And, and I think most people in my situation would go get knocked out, have this thing sucked out, do whatever women do because they don't know their choices, their options. And well, not compounded with that feeling of crawling out of your skin, like that compounded with the only option to be what you just described is like, of course, that's what, of course, that's the response, right? Yeah. So he, he essentially lied to me and I'm thankful for him. I'm so thankful 
that he was kind and, you know, he didn't push me to hurry and schedule my thing at the hospital. He just said, I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give these people your phone number and you have time, like you can go home. And he was super nice about it. Um, he told me the baby was about the size of my hand or something. Um, you know, I think he was just trying to downplay it for me mm. and for the sake of, of legal things. Um, and all they can do is guess. Right. Right. Like, of course he wouldn't know why the, the, baby didn't stay viable. Of course he wouldn't know exactly when the baby passed. Like there's no way that, um, someone outside of you could concretely determine any of that. So, I mean, I, I believe that if anyone could, it would of course be you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So, um, the doctor left the office and, you know, I called my husband and Mm. he'll tell you (sighs) to this day that this, this phone call is one of his deepest traumas of his lifetime. Um, you know, any I've last week I yelled out for him in the house, um, a really casual yell. And he came upstairs just like, are you okay? What's Hmm. going on? Like, and it just told, he told me it triggered that phone call. So like, anytime I yell out for him, Mm -hmm. I'm careful to be like, everything's okay. And can you help me with X, Y, Z? Well, it's only been three months. Yeah. I mean, you're, that's still, that's still real fresh. Yeah. It's, it feels like a lifetime ago, which is the crazy part. But then you have those you have those markers like him, you know, running up afraid, you know, he, you have those markers, I think that really speak to how fresh it still is. Yeah, exactly. So I have a, I have a question. Yeah. So when you went into the ultrasound or even agreeing to the ultrasound and going by yourself and, and everything you just shared and, you know, having this feeling for two weeks that something was wrong well, first of all, one thing I was wondering is, did you and your partner discuss the possibility of the baby having passed prior to um, this ultrasound? Like, was it even on your radar as a family? I think, yes, very much so. And it was not fully conscious. Mm-hmm. You know, he, every day when I was pregnant, especially around that time, before the baby passed, you know, he's grabbing my belly in the morning and like, how's my baby in there? And, you know, and as soon as I had that, as soon as the baby passed, he knew, and he was like, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't feel like I can touch you. Hmm. And, you know, I just, I can't get excited until you go to the doctor. That's Hmm. all he kept saying was, I just, I can't, but there was never a a fully conscious conversation of like, I think the baby died, Okay, you know? And it's even funny because while, I don't know if it's funny, but it's interesting because while this, while the baby was dying, I had this thought come into my mind. 
of maybe I was having twins and maybe one of them just died, Mm -hmm. which is really funny because no, there was actually one baby and the baby did die. But it's an understandable, Um, that's an understandable thought. Yeah. Cause it felt like death. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, he, he, he knew something was wrong. We both knew, but I don't, I don't think it was fully present that the baby had passed. And, um, now that in retrospect, I understand when it happened. Right. And I understand my, you know, my emotions and my hormonal acne just exploding and like Mm -hmm. all of the things that, that led to the ultrasound. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So So, you leave, you leave there, you have this information validated for you. You call your partner. Yes. I'm just, I'm fucking hysterical at this point. And I just am thinking I'm a fucking idiot. How could I, how could I have lost this baby? I was just so hateful towards myself and Mm. like, I'm disgusting and what is everyone going to think of me? And, you know, every irrational, emotional, childish thing coming out of me. Yeah, but those those are really learned, those are really learned thoughts, you know? It does open up this conversation that like in, in our society, the most, you know, evil, ugly, you know, thing to do is to lose a child. You know, women are so vilified against it. Women are so shamed for it. You know, there's really a very, very um, real and obviously horribly misplaced, you know, Mm -hmm. cultural um, misogyny, you know, that, that as you already know, our culture holds some space for women being the bearers of life, but no space for women being the bearers of death. And it, it's just such an interesting conversation because we are not responsible for the life and death of our babies in utero. We are the instruments, but, you know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say almost 100% of women, you know, with a wanted pregnancy want their baby to be born alive and well, right? I mean, of course. Mm-hmm. And so if we were responsible, all of our babies would live, right? Like if we got to make that decision, all of our babies would live because we want our babies to live. To live. It's our, it's our biological imperative, you know, it's our spiritual imperative, all of it. But anyway, so, so it's, I've heard, I, you know, I, I know I work with women who have lot, who experience loss and it's such a common feeling from, from miscarriage all the way through to full-term loss, this feeling of, um, like repulsion and, and at mm-hmm. yourself and this like gross feeling of failure or yeah, what are people going to think of me? And it's, is there really a sadder thing, you know, that that's, that that's our programming to think that in, in such a painful time to like be compounded with those extra, mm. you know, nasty thoughts. It, I, I know myself and I know that I don't go to those places hardly ever. Mm. And so 
I think I just needed to get that out. Mm-hmm. But for anyone who has lost a, a baby, especially further along where you can already feel where they are and everything, um, it just feels really creepy to be like, looking down and you can feel the shape of the baby, but you know, it's dead. Mm. It's just this kind of like you're trapped in your body. You can't get away from this thing, you know? Um, so tell me a little bit about what happens for you where kind of the obvious path laid out for you by the doctor is to go, you know, get, get, anesthetized and and have the baby removed what happens for you that you obviously don't go and do that tell me about that that part um I'm not exactly sure what my options were for for this baby but when I was at the appointment um the doctor told me Cause I said, well, what, what the hell am I supposed to do now that this baby's dead? I want to get as far away from this as possible. Yeah. And, and now I'm stuck with this reality and what the hell am I supposed to do? So he said, well, you have to give birth. And I just thought, no, like that's not how that wasn't the plan. Mm-hmm. Like I planned this, you don't know, but I planned every moment of this and this is not the plan that I had, you know? So he didn't tell me, he said I would have to go in and get induced with Pitocin and that I would actually have to labor and give birth. He didn't give me an option that I could have the baby sucked out. Um, for, forgive me for like my crude um, terminology. I don't know the correct terms for all these things, but. Well, I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a vacuum. You know, what you're referring to it is, and it is quite, um, it is quite dark because they, they do break the baby up into pieces in the vac with the vacuum. Um, and the baby comes out in pieces. So it is, it is a rather crude process. Okay. Yeah. He told, he didn't give that as an option. So I'm really, I still don't know if that was an option. Um, but as far as the story goes, it wasn't. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it took me about 12 hours to, uh, just even come back into my body after the news and to remember that I know how to give birth. And I just had this moment where I was, I just said, snap out of it, Leah. Like you, the plan that you had, the control that you think you have, like all of that, it's over. It's done. Like you're not living in reality and and this Mm. is reality and you have to face it. Like you can't just like live in this other bubble about all of your baby plans because they're not real. Mm. And I had to have like a little pep talk with myself and it was, it was like a tough love kind of pep talk. And I just, I snapped out of it and I said, okay, like I, I have the hospital calling me. They're leaving voicemails. 
Um, I'm ignoring them. And it's time for me to call back my birth plan. Like, what is my birth plan? Because I'm not having my nightmare birth at a hospital right now with a dead baby on the other side. Like, it's just not happening. And so I started reaching out to uh, my sister is a birth worker. One of my best friends is a birth worker. And, you know, I just started calling my people. Um, and kind of like asking people, like, how do I give still birth? Like, I don't know anything about this. Um, I actually had a, I was able to talk on the phone with Yolanda. Um, and she, she really helped ground me into reality, reminding me that, um, yeah, it's birth. It's the same thing. Like stillbirth is birth and just really grilling that into my mind. Um, so in an ideal picture, perfect reality, I thought, okay, well, I know my baby's dead. So hopefully I will just go into labor. I would love that. Um, and it wasn't happening. And I was realizing that it could take days or weeks before this process just happens. And um, as much as I'm like an all natural do it yourself type person. I was like, I can't, I can't sit here with this dead baby for six more weeks or three more weeks. Like I just can't, I need to move forward with my life. Um, so, um, I chose to find some misoprostol, which is, um, known as the abortion pill. And, um, I planned that I was going to induce myself with that. So, um, a little back into story mode with it is that I had called my girlfriend who's a birth worker and she was planning to just be my best friend at my birth, at my full-term birth. Um, and when I called her, she said, I'll, I'll drive down right now. She, she had to drive down about six hours from Humboldt. Hmm. So she said, I'll come, I'll come right now. Like, we'll just do, do what you're going to do. And, um, there were, so there was so much fear mongering coming at me, um, through my sister and my girlfriend and their larger communities they they were reaching out to, I didn't have the capacity to get online and start talking with people. I just like outsourced that. And, you know, people were just, they couldn't believe that I was going to do this at home and I was going to bleed to death and my baby was going to come out in pieces and just like the absolute terror that people had that I could potentially just do this at home, you know, and no one was supporting it. And then they also would say, but let us know after, you know, like, oh my God, like, how could this, how could this woman do this? She's this and that and this and that, but let us know. 
like this totally disgusting thing. Um, yeah. I mean, and it never ends, right? Even with a live baby, it's the same treatment. Even, you know, fr- from conception to postpartum, it is mind-blowing to the mainstream who don't think for themselves and who don't make their own um, sovereign decisions. You know, it is mind-blowing because they've never seen it. It's like left the cultural... um zeitgeist or whatever the right word is. It's not in their sphere as a safe reality because everyone has been scared into the hospital for everything. So it's this kind of like fascination and horror, you know, that mainstream Mm -hmm. people have about a woman um, making sovereign choices against against, you know, what they know to be like the only safe way. So it doesn't end with, with, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, you already know this, obviously it, it's constant, even, even like not taking your kid to a pediatrician or like not wanting to give them a vaccine or like any, anything, uh-huh. right. It's just like horror and fascination at the same time. So, but anyway, okay. So you're navigating all of that and you are really aligning with, I'm going to get the miso. I'm going to have, I'm going to pass this baby. I'm going to birth this baby in my home. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reclaim and, and I'm going to accept reality, align with reality and, and still have a birth that feels, um, like safe and intuitive. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, the, the crying and all of that sort of energy burned out pretty quick for, for me and for my partner. And we just got down to like business. And I was just like preparing what are the things that we need to do this. And it's time to just shut everything else out because I have a really huge task ahead and it can't be distracted. So I, um, I had, let's see. So I started cleaning the house and mopping the floors and doing the laundry and just like really deep cleaning the space. Um, I I had been planning to birth upstairs in that space that you just saw earlier. And um, I was doing um, some meditation earlier in my pregnancy of what my birth was. And I had envisioned it a certain time of day a certain space, everything, like all these little details. And as I was setting everything up, I realized, oh, this is the birth that I've been journaling about the whole time, except for the baby's not alive. And the thing is, I could never see the baby alive. In all of my journaling, Mm. I could see the labor. I could see the, I could see everything except for like a crying baby at the end. Hmm. and so I just thought you know this is this has always been my story and really like claiming that as like no this is this is and was always my path and um it's time that I get to step into that instead of being some victim of a reality you know right Um, And and that this like this beautiful this beautiful um 
you know, idea that death doesn't have to be a punishment, mm. you know, that it, it can exist as it does without a story and, and even without resistance, you know, and, and of course our whole culture experiences death unless you're like a hundred on your deathbed, you know, experiences it as, as a punishment to everyone else. And that it doesn't have to be that, that loss and death is, is absolutely a part of a woman's story and a woman's womb and um, our collective womanhood. And it just sounds like you just did such a beautiful job of, like you said, claiming it and aligning with it and just being like, okay, like, let's, let's just do this as best as I can. Yeah. Thank you. Um, there was so much journaling during the pregnancy, like knowing that I was choosing free birth of contending with death mm-hmm. and, and contending with just what, like, what is it going to look like if I actually take responsibility for myself? And I think that was such a hard part of my journey towards rebirth was taking responsibility because it's, it's easy. It was easy for me to be a victim and I was scared to take responsibility because what if something happened to the baby and it's my fault? Like, what will people think? And what will I think? And, um, I can say with confidence that, that it was nothing like that. And taking responsibility was just, it was completely empowering to me. And yeah. And that I find that the more responsibility I take, the more the concept of fault and blame don't exist. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. So you're setting up your space, you're you're deep cleaning, um, without naming names, how do you get the miso? Um, so I was able to contact a local midwife, um, who actually doesn't want to be named. (laughs) Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And she was, um, it was interesting because she really didn't want to give it to me. And I kind of had to make a plea to her. And I said, look, like, this is my birth. This is what I'm doing. I didn't ask. I said, this is what I'm doing. Are you going to be the person that supports me? Because I'm going to do it with or without you. And if you help me, this will make, make it a lot easier in my reality, right. you know. And, you know, she went through all the... um dangers and risks and you know she was really scared and and that's okay like it doesn't have to be in her scope of what she's comfortable with um well and it's interesting that she even had it like so what is she using it for it's you know it's cytotech so she's using it for um you know a, a last uh res, a last ditch effort to prevent hemorrhage you know, postpartum, like, so she's using it in this totally different, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, it sounds very clearly like most licensed midwives are not carrying cytotech, uh, you know, to help women pass, you know, um, that are no longer viable or, or for abortion support. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, a good midwife, however you want to put that, would, I'm sure, keeps that on hand for all the situations that women experience. But it's um, depending on where you live and what kind of access you have. And thankfully, um, if she wasn't going to give it to me, I was just going to go down the line. And right. I live in an area where that's that's how it is here. So I'm thankful for that. Um, so you get the miso. Yeah, so I, I, I get the miso and uh, my girlfriend shows up and we just kind of have a slow day and we knew that um, I was going to start the process in the evening. Um, She had traveled down with her twin three-year-old daughters. (laughs) And so who are amazing, but they were, we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, they could be sleeping or, you know, so um, so I retreat upstairs into the bath and, um, I oil my whole body and just like get in there and I start to meditate and I have this very powerful vision come into my mind of, um, my mother and how I'm reminded of this mantra that I said early pregnancy of, I am not my mother. I am not my mother. I am not my mother because my mother has, has preterm births Hmm. and all four of us preterm and really low baby weight. And just like, not, not the birth that I wanted to have, you know? And so she comes, there's this vision that comes forward and I see that we can never not be our mothers in one essence, you know, like we can choose different outcomes, but we can't rid ourselves of our mothers, you know, and we're not supposed to, I don't think. And I saw how there's like birth karma and like things that connect us through the womb space. And I saw, I have two other sisters I saw how each of those sisters played out a birth similar to what my mom had. Mm. Like one being an emergency or not emergency, but like a C-section. And then another one being like a very preterm labor. And then I looked at myself and I, I all of a sudden remembered that my mom's fifth pregnancy was a stillbirth. Mm. And I thought, wow, okay, this is the birth karma that I share with my mother. Like, and I remembered how traumatic that experience was for her, like terrible. And I thought, wow, like no matter how much self-work we do, like there's these things that we have to play out. And here I am, I could have easily been whisked away and replayed the same trauma. Hmm. And in a split moment, I chose something else and that that's healing, you know? That's beautiful. And yeah, so in that moment, I, I really felt like, okay, this is supposed to be happening. 
this is my path. Like I could, I could get 100% on board with this. And, um, you know, the evening progressed and around seven 30 after just like praying and meditating, I had all of my herbs and things like just in case for all of these risk factors. And I just, I let them all go all of those fears. And I just was like, look, Leah, you think you can control everything. You could have never controlled or even conceived of what your reality is right now. And so you have to just trust that it leads somewhere and that you can't control it. So I just had a moment of surrender completely. And I took, I took these pills, um, vaginally and within about 30 minutes, I started having sensations and I thought, wow, okay. Um, cause also when I read online about the pill, it said anywhere from three to like 48 hours or something. Yeah. So I just said, I have no idea what, what's in store for me, you know? So, um, I'm having sensations. I send Amanda ring her name and Casey, my, my husband, I send them to bed and I get into the, the hot tub outside and the stars are out and the full moon was coming up. It was like, I don't know, a few days past full and I'm just like laboring and looking looking up at the moon and just like really moving through these contractions. And I have a feeling like, okay, I need to get out of this tub. Like, I feel like I need to be inside. I feel too exposed. So I go upstairs and my poor husband is snoring so loud and just passed out. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to disturb him. And then I'm like, it's my birth. <laughs> this is my birthing space. So, you know, I start just like moaning. I can't, I can't really control the sensations. They're getting like really strong. And I had taken a second dose of medicine at this point. Out of nowhere, I have this, this intense urge to rip my pants off. <laughs> and it's like something primal it's not like a conscious mind thing and I rip my pants off and then all of a sudden my water just like bursts everywhere oh it's such a relieving feeling when your water breaks oh my god and I thought okay like this is happening uh Casey jumps up out of bed he's stumbling over shit trying to grab towels and he wakes up Amanda and um it's just full fucking throttle from there on just and I I have never this was my first pregnancy so I don't have any reference for what birth can look like and I'm thinking this is seems more intense than normal not that I know what normal is but I just feel like okay I don't even have a break it's just contraction after contraction and somehow you know, I'm really like cold. So I'm wearing this turtleneck and wool socks just with my yoni out, just like <laughs> marching. I'm, and I can't relax either. I was hoping I'd be one of those laboring women who's like laying in bed, 
And I'm having this like sensual. Not on, not on two rounds of Cytotec. <laughs> no way. No, that's a I whole am, different thing. I am marching around my room having contractions. I flip on my birth playlist. Um, I'm sitting at, not sitting, marching around my birth altar space. And just the sounds, they just start coming out. Like these sounds, I could not even replicate them if I tried. They were coming from so deep inside of me and they were just shaking the house. And it was just to the point where I was losing my voice, you know. And I finally end up in the bathroom on the toilet. Um, And I'm going from standing up during a contraction and then squatting and then standing up and squatting and standing up and, you know, just over and over probably 500 times. And I almost, it almost feels like, like an exorcism of sorts. And I am so high and my pupils are just completely dilated. Um, my amazing birth attendants, you know, uh, are just completely removed. They never talked to me. They never touched me. You know, they're sitting in the dark, just completely holding it down. My husband at this point is sitting a few feet across from me, just watching, not trying to fix anything. He was like the perfect man. Um, cause no one wants to see their partner like that, you know? And I, and he wasn't like, Oh, can I rub your hips? Can I, he just was silent. And, and, you know, I called in, I called in Amanda ring and I had a feeling that I was like in transition, but I didn't know I've never given birth. And so I'm asking her how much longer, how much longer. And she's like, um, longer than you think you can handle or whatever. And there was just this look between us. Like we both kind of knew where I was, but there's no way either one of us was going to name it. Cause what if we're wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And I decide to hop in the shower and, um, I asked my partner to get in and that lasted about five seconds before I'm yelling at him to get out, get out of my space, you know? And, um, wow, the sensations are so intense. And I squat down and I call Amanda back in and I just, somehow there's this space that opens where I'm not having sensations. And I tell her, I am so defeated. Hmm. I cannot do this. Like how much longer? I just can't do this. And I think I want to get pregnant again and I'm going to have to give birth again. And I have like this kind of pity party for myself. And then my next contraction, she crowns. Hmm. And I feel... I guess it's a mini ring of fire because it's a mini baby, but I feel the ring of fire. 
and I'm squatting down with my hands on the tile and I just reach under and she just glides right out into my hands. And it's so wild because you think you're in the worst pain of your life. And then just like in the blink of an eye, it's, it's gone. You don't even feel, or I didn't feel any pain. Like it's the opposite of pain. And so I'm, I'm holding her in my hands just right under my vagina and I'm scared to look down. Yeah. You know, so I asked my partner, you know, could you replace your hands with my hands or whatever so that I can look down? Cause I just, I don't feel like I can look down and, and then he's like, yeah, I can. So, so he comes towards me and her, her cord was, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 inches long, very short cord. So I couldn't actually lift her away from my, from my yoni at all. So he's holding our, our baby and I look down and I just feel like so much relief. I just think, I just, all I could say was, thank you, baby. Thank you, baby. Thank you, baby. Like, I just could not. She, she was so messed up looking. Mm. And I knew, I knew when I saw her and held her that it just never would have worked, you know? And, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what, what I had pushed out of me. I was told it would be clots. She would be unrecognizable. She would be the size of a hamburger or whatever. She was 10 inches long. She was huge. I was, I was not a 19 week old baby. And yeah, it was just... I just had so much gratitude and no sadness whatsoever. I just knew it was supposed to be. And, um, you know, I, we put her into a little bowl and I kind of like waddled over to my bed with the bowl in between my legs. Cause you know, the placenta is still inside and I just lay down on my bed and I hear, the song is ending and it's the song that I always thought I would give birth to and it's called I release control Hmm. and I thought no fucking way (laughs) I lay down on the bed and I just I feel wrecked and I just I just want to like close my eyes and sleep I don't even look at the baby I haven't touched her I don't know it's her I'm just, Mm. I'm like, I just need to come down from that. Holy shit. And, you know, my friend, Amanda, she wants to, to, to touch my belly. And I tell her, no, like, just, I don't want anyone to touch me. I just need to lay here. And, you know, I, I tell them I'm going to, I'll birth the placenta after this song. So I'm just laying there kind of like 
chanting this, the song that's on and laying with my husband and just like lots of deep breathing and the song ends and I get up into a squat over the bowl and the placenta is just like, whoosh, mm-hmm. like it just comes right out, you know? And I thought, could it really be that simple? Like, mm-hmm. like, and to, and just to kind of mention, like I never bled at all during the birth. It was a bloodless birth. And I was told that I would like hemorrhage to death. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought like, oh, there was never any blood. And even when she came out, there was no blood. And the there was like a little bit of blood when the placenta detached, but, um, you know, and the, the hormones are just like, just like flowing. And, um, I felt like superhuman. So we, I immediately get up out of bed and we, we walk her over to the altar space that I had and we turned the lights up and I got to spend time. I just smelled her. I touched her. I just inspected every millimeter of her body. I found out it was her, (laughs) you know, and I thought I knew the whole time that it was her. And she had, she, she had like, now, now I know what she had. It's called high drops. And it's a series of events that lead to the baby, like not being able to um, process and assimilate their fluids. And so they just become like engorged and it like swells up into their brain. And then eventually they just kind of die because they can't, they like drown. And um, she yeah, she looked kind of like a water balloon baby. Mm. And she had like little round, like balloon hands with like tiny little fingers like popping out. And I just, it wasn't sad. I think, I think if she came out looking like a perfect little angel, sure, I would have thought what, what's wrong? Like what happened? What's, why right, are but you? But with this, it was so visually obvious and, and probably affirming that this was, yeah. this was perfect in the, in the way it unfolded. Yeah. I just, I, I really, all I could say is thank you, baby. (laughs) I just kept like a repeat, like, thank you, baby. Thank you, baby. And I said, you were a smart baby. Like Mm -hmm. you knew and thank you for doing it when you did it, because I didn't want to deliver you at 37 weeks. And, Mm. um, you know, yeah, I mean, I had uh, all the same things that you would expect after you give birth. And my milk came in. My tits were like a size triple J. <laughs> and for obviously people can't see me, but I have like a small A boob. So my boobs were like up to my collarbones and I was couldn't even put my arms down and I was wearing cabbage leaves and postpartum bleeding and pads and um, just, I still had to go through all those things. And it was so much work to take care of myself in that Mm -hmm. time period. I just kept feeling like 
I am so thankful I don't have a baby because that would be so much right now. Mm. And this is already so much. And yeah, and she was not a 19 week old baby. (laughs) She was big. And, you know, I'm so glad that we we got to keep her at home and I never had a paper trail of medical records. I was just an invisible person and I got to have my experience and I got to bury her on my land and what seemed like a very normal series of events for me in that regard. Um, And yeah. I remember when we chatted, when we first met and you were about, I think about two months postpartum. Now you're three at the time of this recording. And I remember, you know, being really struck by your, your groundedness and your, your choice of words, you know, that you, that you loved your birth and that you weren't sad and that the birth of a, of a stillborn, you know, it's, it's so, that's like big language, you know, to use Mm. that you weren't sad and that, that you loved your birth and that you felt at peace. And that was why I wanted you to come on, on the podcast to share, because you're not the only mom I know who has experienced loss, um, and said that same stuff, but there's almost like this you know, there's almost like this, this thing that, that does like, there's not a lot of space for that in, in culture. It's so assumed that you're going to be, um, you know, in deep grieving and in pain and, and it is not at all to dismiss the women who are grieving and in deep pain. That is so, 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 so deeply valid and, um, understandable and, and absolutely right for plenty of people to experience loss that way. Um, and it's just as valid and just as right that you experience loss this way, you know, and that you just, you just, it just is so obvious in your story that you just aligned with reality so quickly. Mm and said yes to the experience. And even, even you saying like, oh, postpartum took so much work for myself and I just was so thankful I didn't have a baby. I could imagine someone hearing that being like, whoa. But the thing is, that is you are expressing from a space of aligning with reality. And when you, and the, the reality is you didn't have a baby. And mm-hmm. someday I'm sure that you will. And and you won't think the same thing, you know, like you're, you probably, when your baby, when, when your next baby is with you, um, and you're experiencing postpartum, I bet you, you will never even have the thought. I wish I didn't have this baby, (laughs) right? Because you will once again, be in alignment with reality. And, and that's all that this is. That's that to me, that's like the biggest takeaway about your story that I'm so, Um, moved by and that I appreciate so much is your ability and your emotional intelligence and your maturity to align with reality and say yes to that and move forward in that yes. And, and that's kind of like the, the, 
the most beautiful thing that we can do, you know, mm. and the most, the kindest thing we can do to ourselves is to just go, okay, this is happening. How can I do this? And how can I, how can I create a yes here in, in the face of, um, you know, something that you never like objectively wanted, you know, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think that's been one of the hardest parts of my postpartum is that my birth was so ecstatic. It was my dream birth, Hmm. except for that my baby wasn't alive, you know, but everything about it was, it was just like the best thing that has ever happened to me. And that's so hard to like convey to people. And like my loss is triggering everyone else's loss story. And so like, I've found myself having to hold so much space for people in their trauma, wow. which I've, I've been able to, because I feel so amazing. <laughs> um, but it's just like, you know, even my, my own mother, when I, when she heard my story, she just said, you know, wow, like I didn't know that it could be like that. You know, her story was so terrible. And even to this day, she'll still call and and be like, but how are you? Like, she's expecting Mm -hmm. that I'm not okay. And, and I've really had to check in with myself. Like, I've searched for sadness and I'll be like, I'll be driving and I'm, I feel like, okay, like it's been a few months, like it's your due week. Like maybe there's some sadness in there. So I'll put on like a really sad song and see if I can like conjure up the thing. And it's just like, it's not my truth. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade it. Like, even if someone said, well, you can have your baby but like you don't get that experience, I would just say no, because um, I mean, I'm like transformed at my core as anyone, any woman who has given birth knows, like I've been blasted open mm-hmm. and I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right. And it's, it's, it's reminding me of one of my favorite quotes uh, by Byron Katie, which is all suffering comes from not accepting what is all mental Mm -hmm. suffering, you know, comes from not accepting what is. And what I'm really hearing in your story is deep, deep, deep acceptance. And when there's acceptance, there is peace. And when there is peace, there is no suffering. So that you experienced loss, which comes with all this like expectation of how you're going to be and feel, but so much of the pain of loss is not being able to accept it. Why did it happen? They should be here. This shouldn't have happened. I had other plans for this baby. You know, I was going to be, you know, and they're totally understandable in zero way am I trying to take away from, from the deep, 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 deep pain of, of loss that so many women experience, of course. Um, and, you know, that that you are this in my mind, this beacon of light of, of an example of someone who, um, you know, was willing to accept it and willing to be at peace, peace and, and therefore is not suffering. Yeah. I just, I want, I, 
sharing my story has been such an important part of this process for me because I'm realizing that there are really not stories like mine. Right. And maybe, maybe there are somewhere and people are hiding them, but like, I haven't been able to find anyone anywhere. And I just like, (laughs) I don't want people to lose their child while they're growing their baby. Like, I don't want people to go through that, but if that's their, if that comes up in your reality, like I want women to know that that's an option. And it, I will go as far to say that it's the best option if, if you're ready to take that on and, you know, someone else, like for someone else, that's going to be their deepest life trauma. And for me, it's like one of the richest, best experiences of my life. So it like set you free. Yeah, completely. And I just really am about women, like reclaiming these, um, these things, um, you know, pregnancy release, stillbirth, abortion, birth, like all these things, they are, and, um, that we can be empowered and like make these choices. So, yeah. And I definitely know women who have experienced loss, who didn't suffer from it, you know, and who really saw it to be the path and the way and made peace with it. And, but you're right. I think there's not a lot of people, you know, who have the spaciousness in their lives to like shout that from the rooftop rooftops. Totally. Um, yeah. So I really admire and honor that you are willing to claim it so deeply and, and share this story in a public format. Um, because those women are out there. I, and mm-hmm. they're going to be, um, they're going to be happy to hear this story. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully I'll have another free birth story of a life. Mm-hmm. Maybe. In the yes, near future. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I'm sure that's in your future. Anything else you want to say or share before we close? Mm. There's just nothing quite like a free birth. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's all. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful story and just so rich. Like you said, that's such a good word for it. It'll be so interesting to stay connected with you and and see what see what you co-create with the universe with this next pregnancy. And and I don't know if it was clear for the listeners, but you woke up this morning realizing you were in your, your, you know, anticipated due week. So you would have been in your 40th week had that, had that baby um, stayed alive. And you woke up this morning wondering if, if you were pregnant because your blood hadn't come. That's really, really, (laughs) really magical, potent time to be sharing this story. And yes, thank you for bringing us along with you on it, on the journey. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all the work you're doing. So I really appreciate it. I'm popping on here at the end to say it's been quite a few weeks since uh, we recorded this conversation. And Leah did confirm with me last night that she is indeed pregnant with new life. 
I'm sending all my love and appreciation out to you courageous women who travel with me and my guests on this podcast, and we will see you in the new year. That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.